0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Passion and Purpose podcast. I am so excited. We're in season 1.5, meaning uh, a season which we are calling back to the Benz. We are headed in just a few days now, actually, to what I believe is going to be a historic gathering of 18 to 25-year-olds in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I love the fact that we are talking about doing something on this scale in the middle of the biggest season of global uncertainty that we all have lived through in our lifetime. We're the people of God. We still have faith, <laughs> we're going for big things and trusting God to do miracles. And one of the people who's going to be at Passion again this year is a dear friend of mine. He and his wife are really great friends to Shelley and myself, his family. I feel like we're all one big happy family. And I respect him so much, and so pumped to have him on with us today. Everybody, welcome Levi Lusko to the Passion and Purpose podcast. All the way from Montana, how's life up in the Great Upper Midwest today?
1: Oh, so good, Louis. Um, so good to be on with you. So good to see your face, and lo- I-, I love season one point five. And glad to be nestled right there in the midst of it all.
0: Yeah, I know you would like the 1.5 because I have, uh, and we're going to talk about this later, but people, uh, can see that I've printed out the manuscript for your book, uh, that's coming out (laughs) next year. And in it. There's an intro, there's a an intro 1.5, 1. 5, 1 point something, 1.7, so I knew you would really yeah. love being on season 1.5. Just for
1: you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, We're
0: man. not quite into season two, but man, I'm loving season 1.5. We're talking about the Benz, oh, have a man. lot of guests on that are going to be a part of that gathering. But before we get into all that, just want to say how much I love you. It's been a big year for us. We got to watch a ro- rocket launch together um, in April. And uh, we got to see the SpaceX uh, launch to the International Space Station. One of the great experiences of our lives to be able to do that together. Got to visit with Shane. We found the breakfast was... sandwiches. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they were hiding under the Saturn V rocket. We found them. They could not keep them from us.
0: Yeah. Somehow somehow Levi and I got into the uh, VIP free breakfast area and then realized after we had walked out with all this food that it wasn't for us. But anyway, it was great. We loved it,
1: Louis. Um, that experience will always be one of my favorite uh, of memories of life. It's it's almost like like a dream. Like oh, you're standing there with Louis Giglio, who taught us all about the indescribable indescribable stars, and and to be standing there watching a rock go up in the sky with you, and then no chain was on it, and that we got to go in the Neil H. Armstrong checkout building and see Shane behind glass and. That was just a bucket list for me, for sure.
0: Talk about what it feels like, though, the difference between just watching a rocket launch and watching a rocket launch with someone that you know and love sitting on the very top of it.
1: Well, um, I've seen two. And one, I knew the people, one I did not. I got to see the last one, too. The, the Not the last one, because there's they're always, they're always going. I guess Crew 3, by this point, will be out. Um, I saw Inspiration, the first all-civilian crew. And... The difference between when you know the people on it and not is that it's substantially more emotional to realize you know his kids, you know his wife, and to think of someone you love hurtling away from the earth up to 17,000 miles an hour. And then to realize as they're riding this beam of light that you know that person, it just hits you on a different level.
0: Yeah, I felt like we didn't breathe for uh, about eight minutes or so. <laughs> and Then it was like, main engine cutoff okay praise god that's not you know the whole mission but it's a big part of it and what a privilege i I was going to just uh remind you that we got to go into a hangar at launchpad 39a where they were refurbishing rockets that had been into space and now we're getting refurbed to travel in space again the whole spacex team of whiz kids were in there making those things work again and we were standing in the middle of it because it was a deluge coming down outside when we were doing this wave across event with the astronauts and man that was just uh, some crazy good fortunate blessing for you and me to be standing in a place that you know we really geek out on maybe more than that. it looked like
1: metallica roadies were toothbrushing the rocket this carbon scoring off of the back of it they all had like Cut off jeans and vans on, and like tattoos on their calves, and and that was the SpaceX crew, and uh, and and then we had a Pizza Hut, and we laughed about it till two in the morning. You know, it, it was it was a good time.
0: <laughs> hey, I love your preaching. I want to start with that today? You are a very unique communicator in that you can take an idea and then blow it up to a massive level, get down into the granular of multiple layers of details, and then somehow you bring it all home. And I I love that about you, and I love about that about your preaching. It's Bible-centered, but it's so interesting. And I want to talk about the curiosity that drives a lot of that. You're one of, if not, you'd be up in the top few most curious people I know. So have you always been curious? How did you foster curiosity? Do you continue to foster it, or is it just a way of life for you?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, we're all like that as kids, right? I mean, as kids, it just, you tend to want to know everything. It was, you know, your parents with questions about everything. And, and I think there was a, quite a while where I kind of like tried to get away from that, tried to downplay that. I think maybe I didn't realize early on that God could use that about me. You know, one of the greatest compliments, uh, our mutual friend, Stephen Furtick, one time we were lifting weights and, he was, and we were talking and I said something and he goes, wait a minute. He goes, you're a nerd. You, and he didn't mean it in a mean way at all. He he didn't realize it. He's like, you got tattoos and you're this. He was you. You really are a nerd, though, aren't you? You love that because I was telling him something that was so weird and detailed and and then and I I sat there and I kind of realized like that is kind of my superpower. I really am just a nerd. And uh, but I think I realized God can use that, and so I stopped being ashamed of that and stopped maybe trying to be someone I wasn't. I think we all have to go through the puberty pastorally of learning what is Saul's armor that we're, sh- we're needing to shed. And, and when I think when we embrace that, I, obviously we all have the responsibility of, 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 exegeting the text and all that. But I also believe that the best definition of preaching is truth through personality and truth is never going to change. So that's not my job or your job to tamper with the truth. Um, the text means what it says and says what it means. And as, as we're faithful to that, I think God does want to illustrate it through our personality because Peter preached different than Paul Paul preached different than John and so I think the more we figure that out and that's a process because you have to first you know copy your mentors to to even before you're safe to develop your own personality you know so
0: yeah I know for me uh, I was copying a couple of guys when I started preaching and I just wanted to preach like them I knew I couldn't preach like Charles Stanley but I thought I could preach like Dan DeHaan who was a great mentor in my life when I was in high school going into college and I, that was my goal. And then eventually I sort of found my own voice. And I think that's important for every young communicator to know it's good to, to model after people. And it's good to have examples that, that you can aim at. But eventually, like I've heard every message I've preached in my life. I'm the only person alive who's heard every message that I've ever given. And so eventually you start listening to yourself and you find your voice. And I think that I believe that most communicators have four or five key messages inside of them. And they may come out in different ways, different flavors, different texts, different times. But that every one of us has a few key life messages. And I started hearing mine and going, oh, that's what I really want to get across to people. or That's what I really want God to see or people to see in God's word. And then I started finding my own voice a little bit, and now I only know my voice and not, is this me or is this me trying to be like somebody else? But talk about how much pressure there is if we don't understand the reality of the fact that God has given us a unique voice.
1: So good. I think this conversation is really important, and I've never really had it with anybody quite like this. Um, I think when you first, my kids are all taking piano lessons. And they're they're not telling them. My I was listening to it before I drove here today. They're not telling them. You know, write your own song. They're giving them scales. They're giving them you know stuff to play that's proven. And before you become a jazz musician, improvising and changing, you know, and being able to play off the cuff and hear the music in your head, you play with a metronome. You play with you know this is the song. It's right or wrong. I think preaching, you know, there's pressure on us to be our own person. But first, I think there is a sense in which you have to follow me as I follow Christ, like Paul said. And, you know, um, I preached Skip Heitzig and Greg Laurie sermons and that was, you know, the movement I grew up in Calvary Chapel, the voices that I was hearing. And so literally, I mean, there was times when it was, you know, like pretty much a Greg Laurie sermon. I would just change Kathy to Jenny, you know, and, <laughs> but I'll never forget I was in McDonald's. I used to go to this McDonald's. It was a combo McDonald's gas station and it was a place I could study that I wouldn't get bothered because no one's, you know, eating in the gas station McDonald's and I would just go <laughs> sit in the corner with a yellow legal pad. And I used to write out all my, you know, I still do write manuscripts. And, um, and I remember i i actually wrote at the top. I still have that, that paper where I wrote, I feel like I'm supposed to jump off a cliff and trust God, like in a good way, like cliff jumping into water, like and not just go read commentaries and re- listen to them preach. But it was like a sense of like, obviously, there's still going to be due diligence where you do your your language work and your cultural background and stuff like that to make sure it's safe. And, and I, I do think even when you come up with something that one's seen before, you do want to run it through the grid. You know, you're I'm probably not going to see something that in all of church history no one's ever seen. There's some there's some credence to the whole if it's new it's not true and if it's true it's not new thing but stylistically how i was going to frame that sermon and shape it and and illustrate it and communicate it, it was like a day for me to trust god and i feel like it was a big victory and i smile when i think about it because it was the first time i really did trust god to play my sound and to be to be brave with my slingshot
0: Man, I feel like we could do an entire podcast on preaching right now, and I am loving this conversation, and everyone who's listening is like, I'm not a preacher, and I'm not a public speaker, and I don't really know what you're talking about right now. We're talking about being good at what God's given you to do, and you don't have to be a preacher to want to really learn some of those same lessons that you're talking about. And I know for me, you know, it has been very difficult for me, I guess, in my life. One of the most difficult things for me has been people saying, how do you preach? And I tell people, I don't really know. You know, I do the work, I have been in the text for a long time, and then I'll still go and do the necessary work to understand the text because I'm not, you and I aren't looking for something new to preach. And I love the way you said that, there are no new sermons. So we're preaching the same message, the same gospel, the same Jesus, the same story of the sovereignty of God that's been preached since the beginning of preaching. And since Christ was raised from the dead and even the prophets before. So we're not looking for new things, but we are looking for a new impact on someone's life. And how do you say the same thing in a way that it can make a fresh impact on someone's life? And I know for me, it feels like painting sometimes where I know Michelangelo, when he was painting the Sistine Chapel, he didn't just start painting on the on the ceiling. He actually sketched out the figures And he knew what he was going to paint when he got going, and he knew he was going to do aquamarine over here and maybe melon over here or a rose color over here. But I don't think there was any strict rules as to what color went first, whether it was the head or the leg or the arm or the or the robe. And I know for me, a lot of times I feel like I'm walking into the moment and I'm like, I know what colors I'm using. I know what I'm painting today. I've already sketched it out. <laughs> I know what it's going to look like. It's not going to be a tree. It's going to be a boat. But I don't know if I am going to paint the sky first or the water first or the boat first or a cloud first. And I don't know. I think in that freedom, very different from you, where you have a manuscript that you are tracking along with, it feels like art to me. And I think good preaching should be art.
1: I love this. And I think there are parallels for the person listening who's in business. You know, Danny Meyer, the founder of Shake Shack and many uh, Michelin rated restaurants in New York City where he actually cut his teeth. Shake Shack was like an accidental, like fun project for a summer that took off and became his, of course, biggest success. But, um he wrote a book called setting the table and he talks about him going to europe as a young man and discovering flavors and discovering wine and discovering food and that palate and that the, the set the experience of a meal and and he talked about he said like look there's there's nothing new to a hamburger or to you know even like you said to composing a, a song there's you know five basic notes in the musical scale you know it's it's shit but it's the art is the application the art is is how and when and the combination so you know p- people rave about shake shack but there's there's carl's junior and there's you know there's a million <laughs> burger restaurants in the world you're not raving about what is it about how he combined those flavors so look you and i are going to preach christmas every single time Jesus is born and the shepherds come there's, you know, but the the art is like you said, it's, it's how it's presented. It's how the ingredients are combined. It's, it's the, how you set the table. It's, is it on a paper plate? Is, is, is there a napkin ring, you know, all of those things. And I think that's, that's the challenge. It's, it's finding a new way to tell the same story and a new way to, um, to make people feel to make people i i hope people feel like they're in the story i hope that they can smell you know the smoke from peter eating breakfast with jesus by the sea of galilee and then realize he betrayed jesus by the same smokes at the coal of fires outside of the 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 temple's house you know the 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 high high priest's house so like when you realize that now now you're it's different it just hits different when you feel like you're in it and Jesus on the road to Emmaus went back to the beginning and explained all of these things in the Old Testament, how they concerned him. And so their hearts burned within them because they were pulled into it. They saw something they hadn't seen before there. They felt what they hadn't felt before. And I think that's the challenge.
0: Your message at at the Benz in 2020 was about the dust bowl. And I, I, you told me that you'd been so far down in the, in the dust bowl that you didn't know if you'd ever see the light of day again. And somehow you pulled yourself out of that that enormous pit that you had gone down in for weeks or maybe months, and then you were able to crystallize a message. And I I bet you read 50 books on the Dust Bowl, 100 articles, and I bet you could write uh, an entire series of books on the Dust Bowl, but then you were able to pull it all back to, but this is the point. Um, what was the point of that talk? And do you know what the point is going to be of your Passion 2022 talk yet?
1: So, this watch right here is the Dust Bowl theme that kicked that message off. It's all your fault, Louis. <laughs> uh, like so many things, um, you have I changed my life in so many ways. <clears throat> um, I didn't know what the Dust Bowl was, I thought it was some SEC thing, you know. The, <laughs> The Cotton Bowl, the Georgia Bowl, you know, as I thought figured it was, a, it was a college football thing I didn't know about, add it to the list. And then you told me, no, it's this thing that happened in Texas and Oklahoma where there's a lot of dust came. I'm like, what do you mean a lot of dust? I, how have I never heard of this? So I started looking into it and then I started like, of course, uh, being mesmerized by this part of our country's history that no one ever talks about. Uh, during the Great Depression, a time of great suffering by so many, Grapes of Wrath came out of this time. Um, people were really, really, really in a bad way because of some very stupid things that were done by farmers that Abraham Lincoln indirectly contributed to. After the Civil War, they needed people to you know, expand. And so they thought if we pass the Homestead Act and then the larger Homestead Act, they'll get farmers to go out and develop the Midwest. And they basically tore up the Great Plains, which was, was millions of, of acres of grass. But they didn't know that the grass was holding the dirt down and that every 10, 20, 100 years or so, a really bad time of drought would come in and then these dust storms would come through and they had uh, made it possible for very cheap people to borrow, to get farming equipment. John Deere had just made the first tractor. So a million acres of of farmland gets plowed up, wheat gets re- uh, pl- planted instead of grass. Well, wheat has very small uh, roots grass had big, here we big go. deep roots here
0: we go we're getting down into the granular people okay so
1: now it's perfect storm because they've ripped up uh, all the grass they didn't know it was holding the dust down they've planted a million acres of of wheat it dries up it dies and now when the winds come because the winds always blow through the great plains now there's nothing holding the dust down So you have have dust being kicked up in uh, mile-tall wind clouds, they call black blizzards, passing through so much dust. People died choking to death if they got caught in one of these. Kids would have to go to school with gas masks on, sleep with gas masks on. They had to coat Vaseline inside their nostrils. It was horrendous. And people got out of the area as fast as they could, but California had such an influx of They called them Okies. It didn't matter if they were from Texas, New Mexico, Colorado. They called them Okies and they treated them like garbage. There would be, it was a racial time too, signs at movie theaters, no black people. Of course, they would use an expletive there. No Okies, no dogs. And they were just not given jobs, not given work. It was a terrible time during the Great Depression. But of course, we survived. People came through it. And now it's hardly even a footnote in history. And the big master aha moment was... Roosevelt, part of his New Deal uh, way of recovering through this, had this personal dream of planting um, trees all the way from Canada to Mexico. He called it a shelter belt, and millions and millions of trees were planted to block the great uh, the winds. And then, of course, they figured out ways to farm called contour farming that was going with the wind <laughs> as opposed to against it. And we recovered, and everyone rallied, and we made it through it. So that was the the essence of the talk. Was uh, in the twenties when we were roaring. We had no idea we were setting the stage for a horrible 30s. So what we experienced in our 30s, the seeds of it's in our 20s. And I was telling the students at Passion 2020, you're, in your, you're entering your 20s now. What you're going to do, do now, it's going to haunt you for good or for evil in your 30s. But even if you've made some mistakes, you, God has planted the shelter belt. He sent a tree, the cross, and wow, that was New Year's Eve. And then Hillsong United and fireworks off the roof.
0: Man, that's the kind of preaching that I'm talking about. People, it's uh, I'm going to go way down, figure this thing out, bring it home, and make it where everybody can taste the dust and the hope at the same time. I love that. And the um, rabbits, ta- talk- lots of rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> talk for a second about leadership, and I know we we everyone is in this conversation right now. But all you have to do is have social media to ha- to be a leader and to have a voice. And now I can you know tell everybody what I think. But yet, sometimes the accountability that comes with building something from the ground up, paying your dues—phrases uh, that don't really resonate with people anymore—you know, um, taking the stairs, um, going the long way around, doing the due diligence. Um, how how dangerous is it where we are right now, where almost overnight someone can have a ministry, if you will, online and a following online?
1: I mean it's that it's the best of times it's the worst of times. I mean it's cool in a and a wonderful thing that you can create a song in your garage with garageband and it can be downloaded tomorrow by ten million people and a few people in you know on Madison Avenue don't decide and hold the the reins on what's on the radio you know and it's so that's amazing, but the good and the bad of course is that oftentimes that instant anything isn't the best for our souls and that God who doesn't work in a microwave, doesn't even work in a crock pot. He works in, in centuries, he's farmer, he's sowing and reaping. It's seed time and harvest. You know, he, he oftentimes develops the best things in secret. And so it's David's anointing uh, at his dad's house as a young child, but not being crowned till decades later. And in the meantime, being in a cave, so, you know, if there were a shortcut, and David didn't take it by the way. He could have killed Saul in the cave and 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 instantly become the king. But I think he knew there was this book I read as a young man called The Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. Hmm. And he says in that book, and I would say every young leader should read The Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards, he says that if David would have killed Saul, he would have become Saul. Only by staying in the cave did he become David and the man after god's own heart, and even being David, he still had his own temptation, so I think for all of us that we should um be very afraid of what comes quickly without the soul things that are going to keep us right because otherwise we'll be destroyed under the the weight of fruit that we can't we don't have the root system to support
0: yeah, I think that all of us in life are want to hurry to the fruit, but you have to plant a tree first. And that takes a minute, <laughs> but if you'll stay with it, it's the exponential increase that will actually end up blowing your mind. Um, I mentioned it earlier and I was laughing about it. Um, these are just the notes for your new book. So this could be a book for a lot of people. It's a pretty significant piece of work. And that's just the notes for the book. The book is called maybe the best title of all time. The last supper on the moon. And, um, I, I'm just so ready to read this book. I've got it printed out now, and I'm going to dive in. And I'm pumped because it's about the things I love the most. It's about Jesus' death on the cross, and it's about the Apollo mission to space. And these two things colliding together make me super happy. But this is a, this is a piece of work, Levi. I don't know what the word count is, but I know that that's what it looks like if you print it out.
1: <laughs> so. I love that you printed that out.
0: I have an amazing team uh, and they do incredible things like that. We're going to need
1: new Xerox uh, ink in a minute, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Exactly. Isn't it amazing that anyone even has a printer? So that that was step one. But tell us about the book. What, what motivated you to want to write it? What was the tipping point for you where you're like, oh, this is the thing. This is how this is all going to come together.
1: Well, first of all, I have to thank you and Jason Diba because this book would not exist without you, and I didn't know that right away. So, <clears throat> long story. This is a fun story. It's in the acknowledgements. Uh, like anyhow, I did, I found out about Buzz's communion on the moon, which he which he did. The first food ever eaten on the moon was was bread and 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 wine that spoke of the 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 death of Jesus. Um. <clears throat>
0: F- Just back up friend. and say that again, because a lot of people that went by, they broadcast okay. and they don't know that that happened.
1: Okay, so when, um, in July of 1969, Neil and Buzz flew to the moon, Michael Collins is orbiting uh, the moon in Columbia. Uh, they landed, N- Neil's about to take his first step, but first, Buzz opens a chalice from his uh, personal uh, gear pocket, and he opens the chalice and pours a vial of of communion juice in, wine then he eats a little wafer bread and and before he did does that he reads off a little index card he brought with him he wrote two verses on it and one of the verses he wrote down was john 15:5 i am the vine you are the branches if you abide in me i and i in you you will bear much fruit but apart from me you can do nothing he then drank the the wine and and ate the the bread. And when I got to talk to Buzz on the phone, I got to confirm from his own voice that Neil did not receive any of the elements. So Neil didn't take any. And I talk in the book about why my theory is that Neil didn't. I have a theory. And I don't think it was disrespect for Jesus. You'll have to read the book to get my theory on that. But um but but they never talked about it because NASA had been sued by Madeline Murray O'Hare uh who is a famous atheist who was very angry that in nineteen sixty eight, December during the Apollo eight mission, they read the Genesis account of the creation on Christmas Eve, or Christmas Day rather, from from the from the uh, the, the Lunar gravity. They were going around the moon. They did not um, land. They just went around it. And during the Christmas broadcast, they reported that there's a Santa Claus, and they read Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the world. And they said, "From a to all of those of you on this good earth, you know, good night. God bless you." And you know, the, the crew of Apollo eight wishes wishes our love. Um, Madeline Murray O'Hare sued NASA because she contested that it was a separation of church and state issue. She lost a lawsuit, but. Deke Slayton, the uh, chief of the astronaut office, who at one point was a Mercury 7 astronaut, but got grounded because of a heart condition. And then later on, he, it was able to fly when Skylab was launched. He said, look, Buzz, I don't mind if you take communion. We're just not going to talk about it on the radio because I don't need drama. All right? No drama. So a lot of people don't know about the, the communion story, including Levi Lesko. I never knew about it. My friend who you know, Brant Kreider, who is the president of North American E. Saint Laurent, he uh, is also a DJ, who Moonlights is a DJ. He was at my house, we were hanging out, and he's telling me about this song that he mixed that's all about um, gravity and the moon and space. And it also samples this lyric where it's a quote about the, 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 the moon communion. I go, the moon communion? what are you talking about? Moon communion. And I'm a, I'm a big space guy. I read the, the right stuff. I've always liked, I did a series called The Controlled Burn. I've liked space for a while and in large part because of Louis Giglio. You know, got me into stars and all that stuff. So I'm like, send me this song. What are you talking about? He sends me the song and it's got this narration about this talking about Neil taking communion, or Buzz taking communion. And I was like, I've never heard this. What in the world is going on? And I'm like, where do you find this? And he's like, I don't know. I found it on the internet. I'm like, that's awesome. So I... File that away in my heart. And one night I wake up and I thought, The Last Supper on the Moon. The phrase came to me that the Last Supper was the first thing eaten. And it's just so poetic. So I wrote down in my journal, I'm going to write a book called Last Supper of the Moon on the Moon. I waited almost two years uh, till I've actually got it all out, but I kept it secret, wrote it, afterwards called him and I told him about it. And he goes, he goes, That's amazing. And I go, Hey, where did you find that fact out, by the way? He's like, I don't know, some podcast. I'm like, some podcast? He goes, yeah, some podcast I'm talking about it. So I'm like, you need to find it. He's like, I can't find it, bro. Well, I said, you need to. So he digs it up. It's a passion podcast. <laughs> and it's Jason Diba's voice. And he who, who works for you. is an amazing storyteller and a voice actor. And I, I love and respect him as well. Anyhow, so I didn't know till after the book was already sent to the printer that you guys indirectly were responsible for this.
0: Amazing. The book is called The Last Supper on the Moon, people. And I I think it's going to be an incredible read already. I'm so pumped to get into it. And it's coming out in January. Uh, so January just, 11th. Yep. Just a few weeks from now, everybody watch for it. It's going to be incredible. Let's talk for a minute about the Benz. Um, it's it's more than an event. I've tried to explain that to people for a long time now, since 1997. It's more than an event, and I tell people we just had passion, and they go, "Oh, that sounds cool." I'm like, "No, it wasn't cool. It was unbelievable." <laughs> They're like, "Oh, that's great." I'm like, "No, it wasn't great. It was it was God." And you've been in the room a few times uh, in different places and experienced it. What what's your take on what makes passion different, and what makes it more than an event? And secondly to that, what should somebody expect who's coming to Passion for the first time?
1: You know, before, um, I'm always so careful to talk about it because I feel like, you know, Marcus Aurelius and Russell Crowe, whoever played Marcus Aurelius in in the movie Gladiator, he said in that scene right before his son Quint um, uh, murdered him, he said, there was a dream once that was Rome, anything above a whisper, and it would vanish. It was so fragile. So come, he says to Russell Crow, let us whisper about the kingdom. And I love that because it's just so beautiful and humble. And I feel like to talk about passion, it's almost like this is a dream that is so fragile and pure. If we do anything but whisper about it, it'll 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 vanish. You know, I feel like. Passion is so pure and you, you lead it so well, you and Shelly, the way you, you steward it, you know, it's not a bunch of personalities. It's not a bunch of platforms and bands. It's not a bunch of speakers. You know, um, when we were at the Benz last year, when we first got there, um, you know, here's this billion dollar facility and it's, you know, every, you know, um, college, Christian, Christian college student just about is gathered there. I mean, it's amazing but we all sat in this back room and you led us through communion and you know, it was eating the bread. You talked about wonder bread and we, we took the juice and we all were on our knees. You know uh, it's not this big commercial thing. It's not this big, slick thing. It's all run well and there's a, you know, everything's done right, but it's so pure that we can't hardly do anything but whisper about it. That's just my, my way of saying like this, I do a lot of conferences, nothing against conferences. This is something different. This is, this is something that's, it's about Jesus. It's about the fame of, of, of God. It's about college students realizing their lives can be weaponized for eternity. It's about, um, It's about realizing you don't just have to work in church to glorify God. You can be a scientist or a lawyer or a baker, and and doing. I mean, it's 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 so wonderful and so transforming and so um, life altering. I never, I didn't even go to a passion, but got my life changed by it by by watching the CDs that were coming out from it. It was so different. You know, I used to get these boxes when I was a youth pastor. It was called Youth Pastors Perks, but the perks (laughs) was spelled with a Z. Because I came up in, in the age where if you misspelled something and made it edgy, youth passed your perks. So they would send the newest CDs and the newest things. And it was always, you know, it was, it was always a like casting crowns or third day or, you know, it was always some big commercial radio stuff. And, but then I would, you know, by myself, I would purchase the Passion CDs and listen to your talks that were coming from it. I remember hearing the recording of John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life talk. And there was just something so different coming from Passion than just the machine that can become Christianity, and uh, it marked me. When When I wrote what kind of church I wanted to start, I wrote down one of my influences was the passion movement because I just wanted the look and feel of it and the spirit of it to be a part of our ministry. And you and I had never met, and we had never been to one and I'd never spoken at one but but we were touched by what there's a force and a freight train that is passion and I th- I think you you and Shelly recognize it's not about you and it's much bigger than you and you're you're serving it but it's something you don't control and I think it's it has my respect like the ocean does
0: man I I you know I just say amen to that I, you're that's you're putting words around my feelings and you know, I was telling someone I was being interviewed on a podcast yesterday or the day before, and the person knew about passion, but didn't know how it started. And so they were saying, tell us about, like, when did you start passion? And it was just great going back to the very beginning and, and remembering again that that this was a vision that God put in my heart. I mean, literally a vision, not like a vision, vision, like for my life, but literally I had a vision. So I can't take credit for that. Um I didn't come up with Isaiah six eight as uh, I didn't even know that verse really. And a guy showed it to me a few months into the this whole new transition of realizing everything's about the glory of God. And he said, hey, this is your verse. And I was like, that's it. That's going to be passion's anchor forever. I didn't come up with that. Um, four years in, I told our team, we're done. We, we prayed for a moment and we wanted to be a fuse that set off an explosion. And then one day 2000 happened and that was the vision. But yet the Lord nudged me through friends and said, hey, there's going to be another generation of freshmen walking on college campuses next year. They weren't here. Let's continue to serve them. And so here we are all these years later. And honestly, no one can take credit for it. The least of anyone who could take credit for it would be me. And so I'm like you, I'm just happy to be along for the ride and genuinely can say when people walk out of the Benz or the old Georgia Dome or some arena somewhere in the world or um, a, a field in Kampala, Uganda or wherever people are gathered in our history that I just want them talking about Jesus and if Jesus is remembered and passion is forgotten and if his name echoes loud through the campuses of America and the cities of our nation and the countries of the world, then we've done what we set out to do. And I don't know, there's something about it that looks big and commercial. And someone told me uh, a few years ago, we were doing this big event, Levi, and I was talking to somebody about how hard it was. And they were like, what do you mean how hard it is? It's passion. You just put your name on the marquee and tens of thousands of people show up. And I was like, oh, you have no idea. You have no idea how Hard it is to do something like what we're doing in the spiritual realm and in the natural. It's just, it's just crazy hard. But at the same time, um, it's it's been worth it for us to give our lives away. And the the product at the end of it does look like a big slick machine. You know, sixty thousand people showing up at something, and people are like, "Oh my goodness!" They don't know we didn't make a dime on that event we had to go raise a ton of money to make it all work. We had to see miracle after miracle after miracle happen just to get into the bins and to see things happen there that happened. There were God stories in all of it and supernatural events and layers to it all. And I don't know, I think knowing all of that, we just walk in stunned and amazed that we get to be a part of it and you know, people say, well, what's it like being the expert on 18 to 25 year olds? And I'm like, I'm not an expert on anything except being a human being. But I do believe that this generation has a tremendous amount of potential and whatever we give, pour into, serve, help, fan the flame of what God wants to do in their lives is going to be worth it because they are going to change history and change the world. And so, I'm I'm excited. I'm as, I'm as expectant about Passion 2022, or maybe more so than anything we've ever done, because we didn't even say yes to this event until May. Yeah, you don't plan stadium events in seven months. Um, there's still so many things that we don't know how they're going to work out. So many ways we're trusting God right now. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're not coming to Passion, would you would you please pray for Passion? Because you can do that. You can start right now by saying, Lord, I wanna just cover this event and cover these days, January 2nd and 3rd, and cover the team and Levi and every person that's gonna be leading and speaking and serving. And I wanna pray for every young adult that's gonna be in that stadium and every seat and every row and every section and every story. I wanna pray God in faith in Jesus name for what you can do. And obviously if you're 18 to 25, you need to be there. There's no reason why you shouldn't be there. I, t- I said to a guy the other day, Levi, he said, I'm sorry, this is going to be the first time in 10 years I'm not at Passion. I said, bro, the only reason you should not be at Passion is because you're getting married. He said, yep, get married on New Year's Eve. <laughs> I said, okay, well, there's that. But you can Ooh, a, totally a, start what a, what a your honeymoon. Tax move.
1: What a great tax move, by the way. Yeah. Yes,
0: exactly. I said, hey, you can start your honeymoon in the bins. And, but if you're 18 to 25, high school senior, you need to be there. If you're older, you can come and serve with us. And no matter who you are, you can buy a ticket for a college student or a young adult and bless them in in a massive way, and you can pray. And um, I'm pumped, Levi. Thanks for coming alongside again this year. I don't take that uh, lightly, even though we're really, really good friends. um, I'm grateful that you said yes to the bins and I know God's going to use your voice in an incredible way. Well, thank you for doing it,
1: for putting yourself out there the way you have to steward it, you know? Um, we saw a grizzly bear the other day. Uh, our friends invited us to go see it. It had been captured cause it was a problem bear. And these, these bears in the, in the, the springtime, uh, they come out hungry, but they go in the fall, they, they go in starving. There's a state they, their body gets into where they have to just put on as much fat as they can, you know, to, to be ready for hibernation. And so they, they they come down and if people leave garbage out, they'll eat garbage, you know, and then they get spoiled where they only like to eat garbage because it's easier than finding their own huckleberries, you know, and so uh, this bear was a problem bear. And so they put these big drums out with, with a rotting deer carcass inside attached to a trip wire and the bear climbs into it to eat the deer, locks himself in the cage and they... They um then have to figure out has it been caught before? And if it's been caught before, they euthanize it, sadly, because it means they've it's it's learned to be, you know, dependent on humans. And then if it hasn't, they tag it and then they release it far away and hopefully it learns its lesson. So we were invited, like, would you want to see this? And uh my family all, of course, like, yes. And so we're watching this bear, they they tranquilize it, they pull it out, they weigh it, they uh put it on oxygen. Fortunately, this bear had never been caught before. And then they tag it and then they go, they, they go take it away. But being near a bear like that, I had never been within six inches of a grizzly bear through the cage. It was my respect went like to 20, you know, on, on just what a powerful thing it is. And I, I, only reason I I thought of that story just now is I feel like, you know, to be near passion is just to be near something, uh, where you have the fear of the Lord because you're aware God's doing something so big. I'll never forget the bends last year. I'll never forget, um, or two years ago, rather, um, Standing there, I was just thinking this morning about when the roof opened. And I know that's a novelty, but it was really a special moment for me because of what I was dealing with personally in my life at that point and the way I was bringing that to God in worship. And, you know, when Elijah was despairing, it was because he thought he was the only one who loved God. But God on the mountain whispered to him, There's 7,000 others who have not bowed your knee to Baal. And it seems like that left a mark on him because from that moment forward, all the way to the last day he got taken to heaven. Now he, he got to go to heaven in a fiery chariot, is what it is. <laughs> um, but what did he do that day? He stopped by and visited three different Bible colleges. We know there was a Bible college at Ramah, one at Gilgal, one at Bethel, and one at, um, at, at Jericho. And before he left, he stopped by all of them, and the sons of the prophets came out. Now, they were making fun of Elisha. Look, bi- college is a tough time, right? But they, he, he gave to his last day. Is energy to succession, and I think passion has always been about the next generation being handed the legacy. It's about the seven thousand others. And when I was in the bends, looking around in worship, listening to Carrie Job sing, and the roof opens and the sun shines in and the wind kicks up, it w- you look around and you realize oh there are, there are, there are sixty seven thousand others that I haven't bowed their knee to bail, and it just encourages all of us to keep going.
0: Wow, um, passion twenty twenty two people, it's coming close. And I'm I'm expectant and I'm I know we're gonna see a miracle. If uh, you're not already uh, you know, on the list, stake your place today and just say yes, figure out a way. And I, I've said to people over the years, people say, Well, I can't come because of this or that or the other, and I'm like, Did you pray about it? And oftentimes the answer is no, I can't come because of work, or I can't come because I can't afford it, or I can't come because nobody else in my town is coming. I'm just like ask god ask the god of heaven can you make a way for me to be in that stadium and let's just see what god will do uh, the book's called the last supper on the moon man alive i'm so excited levi and uh, by the time you're listening to this it's almost available and you could pre-order it anywhere you buy books uh, so get a copy of that and uh, look forward to seeing you soon it's going to be an amazing few days together uh, as we get to pray about the bins and then amazing few days together in the bins, God willing. Thanks for being on Passion and Purpose podcast today. Levi go, everyone. I, loved having for, I love having you on. Thanks for having
1: me, Louis. You're the best.
0: I love that guy. And I loved how we got way down in the granular, even in that interview. I mean, you just get Levi on a subject and he can go deep in a hurry way down in the details. The new book, once again, The Last Supper on the Moon. I'm so pumped for this book. I mean, I don't know if I've been as excited about a book in a minute. So, look for it. uh, Pre-order it today. It's going to be incredible. And again, I mentioned this on each episode in Season 1.5, but if you're coming to the bins, the discount code just for you, because you're a part of the Passion and Purpose podcast, is the word PODCAST, all caps. That's going to get you 20 dollars off your registration. You can share that with your roommate or your suite mate or a friend or some folks that are coming with you. We just want to make it as easy as possible for you to be in this incredible life-changing gathering. We've got amazing episodes on the way. So I look forward to seeing you next time on the Passion and Purpose Podcast.